put your name and email on a card in front of you there. Um, try our way of uh, getting all the information uh, to you. And also in your seat, there might be a form, a survey about small groups. We're looking at uh, doing those and just want to get your opinion on how we, how we can do it. And I sent out an electronic way to do it, but um, I could only open 10 uh, without paying a bunch of money. And I didn't, it didn't even give me whose name it was, so it, it wasn't very helpful. So we went to a, a printed copy real quick. So if you could uh, fill that out while I'm talking, just during the boring parts of my sermon here. <laughs> and then you can leave it on the... Uh, seat there or you can drop it in the wooden box out on the coffee counter there a couple just a quick announcement of uh, what's going on with our in our easter uh, celebration in the next uh, few weeks Uh, we will have a good friday service uh, that will be uh, uh, april 7th the friday before easter um, in the evening that evening and then on saturday the day before easter april 8th uh, we're going to have something for the kids here at the church and um, we'll just have a a short program it'll be open to the community so you can invite everybody but there'll be a short program and then we're just going to have stations throughout the church uh, a candy room so they can be sure to get all the sugar they need and just a fun way of collecting it and then we'll have a craft and we'll have face painting and some other special things we're working on. And so um, just plan to join us for our Easter celebration this year. It's going to be uh, just an amazing time to join together as we honor our King, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so plan to uh, join us for those when we talk about uh, BGMC and collecting money and um, just kind of the joking with Amy. Um, I've done, I've been in kids ministry or youth ministry for 18 years now, 19 years now. Whoa! And uh, we've had a lot of different things just to pump up the kids. They just, they love it when you talk about, oh, we're gonna pie this person in the face. And so Emily uh, kind of came up with the challenge and the thought. And I've had. I've colored my hair pink, um, I've bleached it, that was scary, and it took forever uh, to grow back out, but somewhere halfway, uh, when we had the blonde tips on the end, it shot me back to the 90s, I don't know if any of you had those blonde tips, I was like, that was a big deal back then. Um, We have become a burrito, dumped all the burrito toppings on on me and a couple other people. Becky has been silly stringed. Uh, just let all the kids just covered <laughs> the ladies in silly string. So just doing anything to uh, motivate and help just the kids to have fun and learn about giving. And so as much as, as easy as it is for us just to let them collect money from you, uh, that's great. But if you can motivate them at home, if they can dig through your car for lost change or through the couches or if you give them chores and give them a couple bucks to help them uh, just anything like that help teach them generosity and giving and it's all about that and helping uh, our missionaries so we just love it Uh, our series for easter this year 
uh, is conversations at the cross. And as we go into this um, Easter season, it's the single most important uh, point in our Christian uh, religion that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he's not still on the cross. I'm so glad our cross is empty, uh, that Jesus uh, is no longer hanging there. He's no longer in the tomb. He had power over uh, death and, and conquered that, and his tomb is empty. The cross is empty, and there is power in that. And that's why we celebrate it uh, more than just one uh, Sunday, but we're going to take a few Sundays here. And we want to make it a special celebration each year as we honor the Lord and we spread the message of hope and joy that it brings to us and to everybody. Each Sunday, the next few Sundays, I want us to take a look at uh, conversations that were happening at the cross as Jesus is being crucified, as he is dying. Today we're going to look at the conversation that he had with his mother Mary and with John, uh, his disciple. Next week, the conversation uh, with his enemies, those walking by and hurling insults at him, those who were the ones crucifying him, uh, forcing uh, that to take place. Uh, Palm Sunday uh, will be about the conversations with the other two criminals being crucified alongside of him. And finally, Easter Sunday will be the conversation at the tomb. And the angels uh, tell the best news that he is not here, that he is risen. It's a powerful moment and a great conversation happening there. So to set the scene, I'm not going to do this every week, but uh, I'd like to set the scene for what uh, it looks like at the cross. Jesus wasn't hanging um, on a wall, we have nice decorated crosses now, or maybe we wear them around our neck, and it, it symbolizes uh, what took place, but it was much more uh, simpler and more um, chaotic of a scene that was taking place. I'm not going to do this every Sunday for the next few weeks. I want to lay it out here, and in the next few weeks, we'll talk about different things that are happening uh, that have to do with the conversations going on. But you can follow along with me in a few different spots. I'm not going to have one. I will have one text in John uh, later on. But uh, as we walk through what's happening, um, you can find it uh, towards the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each have different uh, descriptions of what's happening. Just like if four of us left today and described church uh, we would have maybe uh, very similar recordings, but maybe a little different depending on what your observations were. So after the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal, we're going to look kind of the 24 hours before uh, the leading up to the cross. And so uh, the famous uh, Last Supper, Lord's Supper, the Passover meal, Jesus takes his disciples to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And this was something that Jesus did regularly. Uh, he would go to this spot, this garden. 
And it was a private garden. It was an olive grove located on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And apparently the owner had given, them, had given Jesus and his disciples permission uh, to use it to go there, a secluded place, um, to, and one of Jesus' uh, favorite retreats. And because of this, Judas knew where this garden was, and he knew that's one of the common places where uh, the arresting party could find him, could find Jesus. So soon after uh, they're praying, Judas comes, and, and all of the people with him, John 18, 2 says that Judas knew the place because Jesus had met there often with his disciples. The first human pair in history failed the test in the Garden of Eden. And it's interesting that, um, that uh, the beginning of uh, this enormous event is, is starting in the garden, in and, and, and another garden. And Jesus is, uh, has to struggle. Uh, some of your Bibles have different... Well, we're going to say that in just a moment. Um, but in this garden... Uh, it sets the scene and it sets his heart, Jesus' heart, to prevail in victory uh, for all mankind. So Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, bringing on sin uh, for mankind. Jesus begins uh, to conquer sin, uh, beginning in the garden. Jesus encourages his disciples to pray for themselves, not to fall into temptation. He, he didn't want them to pray for him. He wanted them to pray for themselves. And Jesus goes off alone to pray. And a few different verbs are used to describe Jesus' anguish of soul at this time. Jesus, uh, some of the wording is to be distressed or to grieve. That Jesus was troubled or uh, to be in anxiety. To be full of heaviness. Uh, depressed. To be deeply distressed to be greatly horrified or dismayed. One, one of the uh, gospels says he was uh, crying drops of blood, uh, his tears that he was uh, in his prayers. One author, Thomas Holcraft, says that in spite of all the strengths that Jesus possessed, his humanity struggled piteously in anticipation of what he must experience. Jesus prayed in that moment to take that God the Father would take this cup from me, but also he prayed, not my will, but what you will. He knew his mission. The human side of him did not wish to go through it, but he yielded to God the Father's plan. In this moment, the disciples come with him and they can't stay awake. Uh, they, he goes back to them a few different times finds them asleep. It's late in the evening. This is after the Passover meal. It's probably midnight, Thursday, Friday morning. Jesus speaks with them. And as he's talking with his disciples, Judas and the group come to arrest Jesus. The group consists of Jewish temple police, Roman soldiers, chief priests, officials, teachers of the law, elders, Pharisees, Matthew, in his account, refers to a large crowd. John speaks of a detachment of soldiers. 
And usually a detachment of soldiers would consist of up to 600 men being in this situation uh, at night. And what was happening, there probably wasn't that many. They probably only sent representatives. But the point is that this is not a small handful of people, a couple of police officers coming to uh, try to arrest Jesus. This was a large um, number of people. We don't know an exact number. Some would estimate 100 to as many as 600. And they're armed with swords, clubs. They have torches and lanterns, John 18.3 says. As they, as they come into that garden, uh, they approach Jesus uh, through questioning him. And in the famous sign from Judas as he kisses Jesus, they seize Jesus. And commotion ensues and Peter famously draws his sword and strikes one of the servants, cutting off his ear. Jesus kind of calms the situation. He stops Peter. He picks up the ear and he heals the servant. Like what? That would calm, that would calm the moment really fast. There would be a lot of awe-inspired looks. He qu- Jesus then questions, why, why do you come at night? I was teaching every day in the temple. I was with you every day publicly when you could have arrested me. Why do you come now? And the answer to that is they were afraid of the people. They were afraid of what the reaction would be. Jesus doesn't put up a fight. He surrenders to them and they lead him away. And a sad moment takes place as all of the disciples flee. Jesus is then led to the council of elders, the Sanhedrin, where the chief priests Annas and Caiaphas question him. This hearing was conducted as an actual trial. Being at night, there might not have been a full uh, house of, you know, every elder represented uh, they had to have a quorum just like we do in our business meeting. So there's probably 25 to 30 there and they're questioning Jesus. They're bringing up false witnesses to try to accuse Jesus, uh, make up stories. Uh, it's funny that um, one of the accounts mentions like the stories wouldn't even line up. Some of the things they said Jesus uh, said, uh, they couldn't get those things straight. And so it's kind of uh, a joke or like a a kangaroo court, as we might call it, when we do a funny proceeding like that. But they're trying to find uh, Jesus guilty, and they're just making a mockery of it. And and finally, Caiaphas is uh, the one in charge. And he gets upset and he uh, just demands of Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus replies, yeah, it is as you say. For soon after this, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas did not like that response He jumps up, tears his clothes, claims blasphemy over Jesus, and the Sanhedrin decide that he deserves death for this. 
Jesus is taken to a cell and he's beaten and he's mocked. While this is happening, Peter is down in the courtyard area and Jesus' prophecy comes true that he would deny being with Jesus three times and and a rooster crows and, and Peter has instant remorse in that moment. Because it's so uh, late at night, they wait till uh, a few hours later in the morning comes and they take Jesus to Pilate, who is um, the, uh, the, the governor, um, what we would call a governor in charge of that area. They take him to Pilate to be sentenced for crucifixion. He finds no guilt in Jesus, he sends him to Herod because Herod would be over uh, Galilee where Jesus was from. Uh, Herod can't find uh, any fault, so he sends him back to Pilate. Pilate um, and Herod, neither one can find guilt in Jesus, can't understand why uh, these people would want to uh, have Jesus killed. So Pilate uh, does not want that to happen. He tries a few different ways of setting Jesus free and it, none of them satisfy the people. He tries um, the people uh, stir up the crowd suggesting that they would release Barabbas instead. A man that was guilty of insurrection and murder. Just a side note, uh, on Good Friday, we're going to uh, kind of look at that story, how we're kind of like Barabbas, that we were guilty and Jesus was innocent, but Jesus took our penalty and set us free. And Barabbas walks out of there a free man. Pilate tries to satisfy the crowd by having Jesus severely beaten, uh, flogged or scourged, your Bible would say. The, the lashes of the whip, the 39 strikes, that's significant. There's so many significant things uh, throughout the story of his crucifixion. We can't get into all of them, but it was not enough. Nothing, none of these things that Pilate was trying would satisfy the, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the people So Pilate's wife warns him of a dream that she has about Jesus and just tells him, you don't want to have anything to do uh, with this man's death. And Pilate's caught in this, kind of torn between uh, what to do. And he literally, he brings out a basin of water and in front of a crowd, hundreds of people that are gathering in this courtyard, he washes his hands of Jesus saying his blood is going to be on you and it's, it's up to you what you would have, uh, have happened to this man. But to me, I'm washing my hands of it. And the crowd sadly cries out, then let his blood be on us and on our children. Oh man, the powerful, uh, sad, in a wrong way, a curse coming upon them. Jesus is then led to his crucifixion He starts out carrying his own cross, but later the soldiers force a man named Simon, who is from Cyrene, to carry it. And a procession follows Jesus. We call the road or the path that he went on, the Via uh, Della Rosa. You can go there, and uh, they've 
um, have monuments of each spot where, where maybe they think different things took place. It's a long procession out of the city uh, to this place called Golgotha. Following in this procession of people is a large crowd and there's a small group of women, uh, most likely including his mother, and they followed him, the Bible says, mourning and wailing. A couple times he speaks to them. He's taken to Golgotha, uh, the place of the skull. That word skull, through translation into Latin, um, the Latin language became the word Calvary, which we uh, sometimes refer to. Typically, there was not a fixed place where they would say, all crucifixions are going to take place here. Or they wouldn't, uh, there wasn't a, a cross that everybody was crucified on. They read, no, it was, uh, it was typically done. Uh, executions normally would take place in a convenient place, a location where many people would see them. It would be done on a road where people would pass by and know, okay, that guy you know, was a murderer, I better not murder, that's going to be me, or I better not steal, that's going to be me. So they would use it, the crucifixion, as a, a way to deter bad behavior. And so Golgotha at that time was simply a roadside site where people regularly passed by. The scene at the cross was filled with, with lots of people, just crucifying Jesus was probably five soldiers there. The chief priests and the elders, the Pharisees, all of those who wanted him crucified were there to make sure it happened. You have the people, all the people passing by on this busy street. And people would pass by hurling insults. He can save others, but he can't save himself. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross and show yourself. Even the criminals on the side of Jesus are being crucified too and they're shouting insults and they're mocking him. So if you can picture in your mind this scene on this dirt road in this busy intersection, you have all of this commotion going on and then you have John and he's with a, a group of women. These women had been with Jesus for quite some time. Some of the, it, it, this was a long moment. This wasn't just, okay, he's, he hung on the cross and he died. This hours go by. John and these women, and there might have been other people uh, observing Jesus you know, in a good way, not, not enemies of him. They start out a ways away, probably hiding a little bit of, for fear, I don't know. Um, Matthew writes that they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. This group of women, the first mention of them is found in Luke chapter 8. These women were helping to support Jesus and the disciples, the verse says, out of their own means, their own finances, their own funds, their own uh, resources. When you think about the day-to-day -day logistics of uh, ministry, Jesus' ministry was about three years long, and 
there was daily uh, needs that had to be taken care of, and it was probably uh, these women who would uh, feed Jesus when he wasn't miraculously multiplying loaves and fishes, right? We see a couple of times where uh, meals are taking place, but the daily, uh, maybe the washing of clothing, whatever it was, the Bible says that these women uh, were ministering to Jesus and his disciples. They were not servants, but they were serving their master, their Lord. This group consisted of Mary, Jesus' mother, her sister. Mary Magdalene was there. Mary, the mother of James, your Bible may say Jacob, the lesser, younger, or little, um, and Joseph, or Joseph. Uh, Salome, a woman named Salome, possibly the mother of the sons of Zebedee, and others were there along with one disciple, only one uh, disciple, and it was John. Why is John at the cross? <laughs> Where are the other disciples at? Our first conversation at the cross today will reveal that and, and the significance of the women who were there with John. In the, midst of, in the midst of the chaos and the hours that go by and this small group who started out at a distance away from the cross, now they feel safe to come close to Jesus, to honor him. Our text comes from John chapter 19, verse 25, the second half of 25 through 27. John writes that, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. There is no uh, disrespect in the Lord's address of uh, the title woman instead of mother. He had addressed her as woman before in John 2, verse 4. But the, in, in our English language, it may sound um, like a slight or disrespectful term, but in the Greek, woman uh, was in fact a highly respectful and affectionate mode of addressing them. This conversation is important because it shows Jesus' care for family, for widows, and the importance of setting them up to be taken care of after his death. Let's take a closer look at, at who is involved in this conversation. You have John is a, one of the three closest disciples that Jesus had, him and his brother James and Peter. On separate occasions, uh, they would go on different experiences than the other nine uh, disciples would do. John often uh, referred to the love that Jesus had for him. They were, they were close. John was from a prominent family, the, all 12 disciples we know uh, were from various social classes. And uh, here what we can gather 
from John and his brother James is that in the moment when they're called, uh, when Jesus calls them to follow him, Mark's account says that they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. That's Mark 1.20. It shows uh, he had hired servants, that John and James weren't just fishing for their own uh, wages or their own living, but their family had a business in it. When we look at this, we can see that when uh, uh, the mother of uh, sons of Zebedee is mentioned in this group of women that were providing for the ministry and support of Jesus and his disciples out of their own means, we can see that uh, that family uh, had money and had the finances to do so. Another indication of the prominence of John's family is found in uh, John 18, verse 15. After Jesus is arrested and he's taken to the chief priest in this courtyard area, John points out that he was able to go in, but Peter was able to go into the court of the high priest, but Peter could not. And so John goes back, vouches for him to the, uh, the servant at the door, the gatekeeper there, and they allow Peter to come in. And in that moment, that was the first time the girl was like, weren't you one of them with Jesus? And he was like, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So that was John. Who else is with John at the cross? You have Mary, Jesus' mother, and with her is her sister, John records. And an interesting theory here that if it's true, It'll shed light on uh, the closeness of Jesus uh, to John. And if it's untrue, it doesn't have a huge uh, bearing on things. It's kind of a loose theory. But when you compare Matthew, Mark, and John's account of the list of women in this conversation, they, they all agree that Mary Magdalene is there and that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And then they have two other ladies are referenced. In Matthew, he says one is Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Apparently, Mary is a very common name back then. The other lady he uh, has listed is the mother of Zebedee's sons. Who are Zebedee's sons? The sons of thunder, John and James. Mark uh, lists the Mary, the mother of James and Joseph again, just like Matthew did. And the second lady he names just Salome. John lists Mary, the wife of Clopas, who is probably the, the one that the others named as the mother of James and Joseph. And his second one he names as Mary's sister. Jesus' mom's sister was there. And so if the first one is Mary, the wife of Clopas, the mother of James and Joseph, then the second one could be Salome, Mary's sister, the mother of Zebedee's son, James and John, making Jesus and John cousins. And it's kind of a loose theory, not a big, you know, not a lot of weight hanging on that, but it would show uh, why Jesus loved John so much, even from the beginning back at the wedding at, in Cana, uh, their families were, were there together. They would have known each other long before uh, Jesus' ministry started, where other disciples did not have that much 
uh, prior connection to Jesus. As family, it would give a heavier reason to why they were together at the cross and why uh, Jesus would have this conversation. You see, most scholars believe that Jesus' earthly father, uh, Joseph, had passed away years before this moment. The last that he's mentioned is when Jesus is 12 years old. And we know Joseph was probably in his mid to late 20s, maybe older when Jesus uh, was born. So it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for 30 years later when Jesus begins his uh, ministry for Joseph to have passed away prior to that. Traditionally, the oldest son in a Jewish family uh, was duty-bound to provide uh, for his mother's care if she became a widow. And by entrusting Mary uh, to John's care, Jesus was fulfilling his family responsibility as a devoted son. Typically, a dying son would commit his mother into the care of another member of his immediate family. In this case, Jesus had brothers. We know that, that he could have given her to. But at this moment uh, in time, they weren't believers yet. They, didn't, they weren't committed to his mission. So Jesus chooses John, possibly because he's a cousin, but most importantly, he chose a close friend who is on board with the mission, who is a believer in the faith in what Jesus was accomplishing, what was happening in those times. Someone who is always with Jesus. Out of spiritual concern for his mother, Jesus chose John. Two powerful points can be learned from this conversation. First one, the importance of the care for widows. The beauty of this moment is reflected in the care that Jesus had for his mother, as well as the care that John provided for her. Scripture clearly teaches the importance uh, of caring for widows and the elderly. Jesus condemned the Pharisees uh, for taking advantage of widows in Mark 1240. Two verses later, in 1242, uh, Jesus praises the widow who brought two mites, all she had, and put them into the offering. In this moment, one of his last dying duties, Jesus assures his mother's care. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would later uh, call such care for widows pure religion. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1.27, one of Jesus' brothers writes a book of the Bible, but he didn't come to faith in Jesus until uh, later on. We must follow this example 1 Timothy 5 tells us the responsibility for care of widows falls to their children and grandchildren. We show our faith in God by caring for them. It was more than a cultural expectation, but it was practical as well. 
The early church was caring for so many widows and so many uh, people. They, they divided out the responsibilities. And if you remember in Acts, they, uh, they appointed leadership just for the ministry of the widows and instructed those family members to take care for their own, that the church, was, uh, the church cared for those who were truly widows, meaning those without family. It's a ministry that God finds of the purest form of religion. The second point uh, we can learn is uh, Jesus was establishing the family of God. Establishing the family of God was at the heart of Christ's uh, mission and his ministry. Through relationship with Jesus Christ, believers become members of a new family. We've learned about that in, uh, as we've studied Romans recently. <clears throat> we've learned uh, that we who believe in Jesus are saved by grace through faith in him. We become adopted into the uh, family of God. Prior to this magnificent moment, a relationship with God was quite different. He was God, seemingly far off. His presence or glory was only revealed to certain people, the, the priests and prophets. But now, because of the work on the cross, Jesus opens up the kingdom of heaven as a home for the family of God. If you uh, read some of the accounts, the veil of the temple is torn at the moment uh, that Jesus dies. Some amazing things take place and it's symbolic of the opening of the presence of God to everybody that we can have that relationship with him as the Lord completed his earthly ministry his words to Mary woman behold your son and to John here is your mother they were profoundly illustrated of God's new family uh, being born at the foot of the cross if I could have the worship team come, we'll wrap up this morning. I want to close talking about John and his devotion to the Lord. Whether or not he was a cousin or, or a very close friend, there's something special about Jesus' relationship with John. Him and his brother and Peter were taken separately in the garden to pray with Jesus. They left the nine well, eight disciples moved to a further place and had a special prayer together. Jesus would go ahead by himself. There was times that uh, they witnessed together the healing of Jairus' daughter. They witnessed together uh, the transfiguration that Jesus had on the mountaintop. John had a confident faith. John was bold Early on, his nickname as the son of thunder was because he was a bold man. He wanted to call fire down in one of the situations, one of the stories they encountered. He was bold. But later, it's evidenced in his writings and, and even in this moment at the cross that his heart has softened up. His writings talk so much about love, that we should love one another, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. All, a lot of his writing, he uses the word love, and he displays love here at the cross. In the middle of this tremendous moment, there was probably fear, uh, there was probably unknown uncertainties, anxiety, but Jesus 
along with John, uh, Jesus' mother and these women, they decide to be close to Jesus in this time. John's love and courage shine as he leads them uh, to the cross and he stays there at the cross with those ladies. We can learn an extremely important lesson from John that in the midst of our hardest, our most difficult times to stay close to Jesus. John uh, stayed with him. uh, He was with him at the arrest in the garden. He followed Jesus uh, to the court uh, where Jesus was tried and questioned. John uh, was in that area. When all the other disciples had fled, John is with uh, Jesus in those areas, in those times. More than likely, uh, if the women are following Jesus on the road carrying his cross, John's probably there with them. Just as he was in uh, this dark moment in history, John stays close to Jesus. And we encourage you today to stay close to Jesus in your darkest times, in your hardest times. Would you stand together with me? The challenge, not just uh, for today, but uh, just want to emphasize it more today, is that we can learn that uh, no matter what's happening in life, man, we can be at the foot of the cross. So much is uh, accomplished at the cross of Jesus, was accomplished at the cross of Jesus. And we need to stay close to him, that no matter what happens in our life, he uh, is there for us. He's not still on the cross. We don't have to make the trek to to Israel to find that spot. Uh, He's not there anymore. He's here. He's with you. The Holy Spirit is with us every single day to help us if we would stay close to Jesus. Let's not stray when we get uh, through hard times or when uh, the snow doesn't allow us to do the things that we want to do. Man, we can feel this winter blues and and depression can be a a real thing in this uh, harsh winter. We need to stay close to Jesus and know that he's always there for us. So as we close, we want to do this song together and um and just reflect in your life what you need uh to be close to him for let's pray heavenly father god i love you lord i thank you for each person here lord you know what they're going through in the hard times they might be uh uh, suffering from today i just pray that we would be close to you Lord, that we wouldn't draw ourselves or slowly fade away from you, Lord, but that and we would stay near the cross, Lord, near you, God. You're with us every single day. You're with us in those moments. God, when we cry out to you, you answer. You're there. So God, as we uh, close this service, we spend a couple minutes with you in response, God. We want to be close to you. Would you come to us, God? Hallelujah, Lord. Uh, Leave this place. Please keep in mind you can stay close to Jesus. He's not stuck in this church. He's with you wherever you go. You can reach out to him as we uh, 
please plan to participate in these uh, Easter activities. If you'd like to volunteer, I didn't mention that. If you want to help at the kids' uh, event that day, come talk to me. We'll have a sign-up sheet uh, next Sunday. You can do that as well. Uh, Be blessed, and we uh, pray as you go. Go with the Lord. Amen.